to Medical Education Trends podcast series. Here we'll have discussions and interviews about hot topics in medical education. I'm your host, Mehrdad Heravi, an Iranian medical doctor and a health professions education enthusiast. In this episode, I'm joined by Professor John Sanders. Professor Sanders is a professor of medical education and director of medical education innovation and scholarship in Edgehill University Medical School in Olmskirk, United Kingdom. John trained in hospital medicine and general practice. He developed his academic career in medical education as associate professor in the Leeds Institute of Medical Education, University of Leeds, and was appointed professor in medical education at the University of Sheffield before moving to HL University in 2016 as professor of medical education. He is an associate editor for Medical Teacher Journal and co-chair of Amy Tell Committee. John has a long history of research related to the use of technology-enhanced learning. His research has led to over 130 peer-reviewed publications with an H index of 31. He is also co-lead of the Improving Professional Practice Research Theme in the Faculty of Health, Social Care and Medicine at HL University. He is a member of the Health Research Institute as well. Professor Sanders, thanks for joining us today. Uh, Thank you very much for inviting me to talk. Um, I think this area of telemedicine, telehealth is really important. As we know, the COVID-19 pandemic has made major changes in how people consult. And I think like most new innovations, many people have started to replace it. Something will happen over the next two to three years, but we will never go back to what it was like before. And I think people will find that there are advantages with telemedicine. Um, There are disadvantages, of course, but there are a lot of advantages for doctors and patients. And and I think wider society, you know, it's a bit like when I used to be a family physician doing home visits. I could only manage one home visit maybe every half an hour because of the travel. So that means only two visits an hour. And, you know, telemedicine consultations, you, you can be doing maybe what? four, five, maybe even six in an hour. Uh, So it's much more time efficient and it's much more convenient for patients. So there are lots of advantages. And in fact, I'm doing some research at the moment, working with clinical colleagues, looking at it in paediatrics. And um, uh, so that project has just started. So we're looking at um, what the doctors and the patients and particularly children feel about it about uh, this kind of uh, telemedicine and telemedicine, you know, that would be great. So, so, uh, as you know, uh, and we're going to talk about uh, this kind of uh, digital clinical competencies in undergraduate medical education. So, uh, right now, we have some sort of um, uh, competencies for medical students right now, but uh, we are going to, uh, actually, we are in the age of AI, in the age of uh, digital health, So um, to what extent do you believe we need to reconsider these uh, competencies in the age of telemedicine? Yes, I think I think there are several digital competencies for me is is a really wide term. If we accept that digital is sort of everything pervading to the use of technology, um, we need to have increasing um, levels of literacy and competence in that. And at one extreme, it is finding information. 
Um, we all rely on the internet for information. And we know out there there's the good, the bad and the ugly. And being able to make sense of that information is really, really important because we know that if we search on Google, just because it's at the top, why is it at the top? Most people only read the first couple of pages looking at Google, yet people pay for that. It's, it's, it, it's supported by drug companies. Um, it's supported by other organisations. So that is a major issue. So I do think we need to do that. I think the use of social media, um, sort of blogs, Facebook, it's become such a ubiquitous part of many people's lives that the boundaries between professional use, personal use, and how it's seen by the public. So there's a digital, almost like professionalism, which I think is so important. So that's competencies, being aware of some of the dangers. And in fact, um, I'm currently supervising a PhD student in dentistry who's looking at the, the real power dynamics in dentistry because uh, dentistry um, in the UK um, the, the dentists are more independent and they sell their services more than medicine does. And, you know, you, you need to promote your practice. You need to promote um, the treatments that you are providing. But equally so, it has to be done in a professional way. So there's a list, there's all those competencies. So there's those sort of information handling, social media professionalism. They are competencies. And also telemedicine, telehealth competencies as well. So for me, um, we, we need to have these as part of the curriculum. And if it's part of the curriculum, it means that we have to provide information about that for students. Mm -hmm. But we're also, we need to have assessments. So we need to have much, much more creative assessments where you, we are actually measuring these digital competencies. You talked about uh, about these competencies, for example, professionalism. What are, uh, generally speaking, what are these competencies overly? For example, you've mentioned resources uh, and social media and talked about uh, professionalism. Yeah. Uh, generally speaking, what are the other new, um, actually, competencies that we need to cover for medical students? I mean, I think some, there are competencies about how to use uh, the, the, the technology. Um, so it always surprises me about uh, students. They're very good at using a very small range of technologies. So they're very used to using uh, uh, maybe TikTok or, the, or Facebook. But actually, when they try and use something else, they found it quite difficult. So yeah. it's being able to use different platforms and getting around that. So, so they're really important competencies of learning to use this. And I think people need to do that. I think the other aspect is that students also need to be aware of how technology is changing, you know, with, with virtual reality nowadays, artificial intelligence, these are going to have a massive, massive impact over the next two to three years, and certainly over the next 10 years. And I, and I think things like artificial intelligence, people need to be thinking of the much wider societal issues of what's involved, about, particularly about data. And I'd regard that as a digital competence, um, but 
it's more to do with health informatics you know how but they need to be aware of how data is being used and how it can be used i mean for example in england at the moment uh, there's a move that all medical records should um, be part of a national database and there's a group of doctors who've set family practitioners who've said no uh, there's not sufficient safeguards. The patients are not aware of what the information will be used for. We've had data breaches. And, you know, how are we going to safeguard that type of information? You know, even very confidential information has been found in, um, on the back of people's cars, unprotected laptops, on USB sticks. So all of those are really important professional competencies. I have to say that... All these competencies related to the digital age are exactly the same as we traditionally have. So professionalism, confidentiality, patient safety concerns, all of those are what we do anyhow. But what we need to do is to move and extend what we're already teaching to encompass these new areas. And for me, Having a course, inverted commas, on digital competencies is not how to do it. It needs to be integrated because otherwise it becomes another block that people learn and they see it as separate. And I always tell people um, about, um, you know, you teach patient-centred consultations. So in an OSCE station, a student enters one and, and it says commute. You know, they know this is communication and they, and they do that. But the next station is a clinical one and they're not patient centred at all. And you saw, why weren't you using those skills? And they said, well, it, it's not communication, it's managing a patient. So they don't see how it all gets interrelated. So for me, it's about infusing and integrating what we're teaching already with what is likely to happen in the future. So that's a real challenge for all of us. I think, as medical educators, on how we make what we are talking about relevant, not just now, but for the future. And I think one of the key things that we need to do as medical educators is to be reading in the wider literature. I mean, if we read newspapers, magazines, we begin to see that there are these emergent trends People are writing about artificial intelligence, about social media, and we need to be able to integrate those um, into our teaching. And as medical educators, we need to be aware of how society is moving very, very rapidly. So you've mentioned a very specific groups as, as medical educators. So, so how do these, as you've mentioned, how do these groups uh, can adapt to this paradigm shift in medical education? I think they, ha I think we have to be open to it. Mm -hmm. It's not going to go away. And I don't think it is just young people who should be teaching it. I think it's, it's all of us, whatever our age. Um, we're all using technology. We, and because we all use technology, it needs to be all the age groups. But I do feel that we have to be open to it. Uh, many people think, well, the, the course is already busy. It's already full of content and, and it's so important. Yeah. Uh, yes, it is important, 
but actually maybe some of the biochemistry we're learning, some of the clinical aspects, we do not actually need it at that moment, particularly in undergraduate medicine. We don't actually need that depth of knowledge. It will be better spending that time doing something else. But also I think it can be integrated with things like um, case-based learning or problem-based learning discussions. So there is an internet component and I think it can be integrated into OSCEs. So it's part of it. It's part of a question. Uh, I think it means opening our minds up to this reality uh, that there is a massive impact on all of our lives, professional and personal and patients' lives with technology at the moment. And so, so uh, talking about these medical educators, uh, we uh, actually uh, will see some sort of resistance to change yes. from medical educators. How can we um, meet uh, this challenge and how can we uh, come up with a solution for that? First of all, to be realistic, um, like all change, there's always this curve. <laughs> there's those who will change tomorrow and they will be the innovators and the inspiring leaders. They will um, have the latest Hofskis, um, which have integrated telemedicine um, or um, artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. They will integrate it to their teaching. They will expand it and integrate it to their where the teaching ethics at the moment and professionalism. So you're going to get those enthusiasts and we need them. And these enthusiasts can give case studies and examples of how they are implementing that. And that is so, so important. Then you get this group in the middle who do change. And then there's the other group at the, at the bottom of the curve who actually they only change if something is mandated and uh, part of it is them getting old and retiring, and they're not always old. Um, and part of it is where the dean ha actually has to say, you do it. You're going to have to do this, full stop. So <laughs> uh, and they do begin to change. But most people are, are much more in the middle. People, when they see innovation, when they see inspiration, they begin to slowly change their curriculum and the way they teach, the way they assess the way they have the case discussions. And for me, it's a gradual process. It's not something which is going to happen, you know, overnight. But it will be something which is beginning to happen and change over two to three years. And I think that is fine. I don't think we have to be in a rush. But what we need to do is to nurture the innovators and profile really good innovative practice. Well, I think it, it, what you've mentioned highlights actually the importance of leadership of change, especially yes. talking about this kind of change. So uh, uh, let's go back to uh, what you've mentioned about integrating this uh, change and reforms in the curricula. And we, I want to talk about specifically about um, these kind of changes. What kind of um, actually changes we need to implement in undergraduate curricula in order to meet these new needs? I mean, I think it's it's... We need to have a quite a clear focus on these various aspects of digital competencies or digital. I mean, one of them I call it is, is digital literacy, particularly about information. So instead of just having critical appraisal papers of studies, research articles that we give, we need to start doing that with some literature searches. Mm -hmm. And in fact, um, I used to run a session 
in which I got students to look at um, on the internet, um, identify one site which says chocolate is really good for you and another site which says chocolate is really bad for you and to compare these two sites and you look to see you know the ones we're saying you know chocolate is really good for you and, and to try and make sense of it you know was it industry who, who provided the information is it referenced is it supported and in fact this week in the British Medical Journal, this, this very week's issue, there is an article there about um, some work on anti-COVID vaccination. And it was in one of the journals, um, Vaccine, I think it was called. And, and the editors have actually now withdrawn it from peer review because people on, on the editorial board have uh, resigned over it. And it's because the authors of this paper, people are saying, you know, it's not properly referenced. The arguments, were, it was somebody, um, you know, putting forward ideas, but actually it should have been challenged or a commentary written about it. Of course, we want people to have alternative views. That's important, but we need to be able to weigh that up. So I think that's, I think that's what I call digital literacies. There are those which are related to social media. And the way we've done it is to get students um, to be looking at how they use and reflecting on how they use social media. We also show them examples of where students have had inappropriate or professional behaviour identified. And these have resulted in disciplinary um, proceedings with their registration body, the General Medical Council. And in fact, by working with people like the General Medical Council, We've been able to get examples of disciplinary proceedings that have been held against medical students and doctors for inappropriate use of social media. So we can use those as case studies for discussion and then get students to reflect on it. And I think that is far more effective than trying to have particular rules, you know, it, because you can say, well, you can't use mobile phones when you're in hospital because you might be taking pictures of patients. Yes, I agree. But having a mobile phone with you when you're in hospital, you can be using it for other information. Um, you know, you can be searching the internet to find particular information. It doesn't say that you are using it inappropriately. So I'm not for having these really harsh codes. And then I think we've got the use of digital consultations, e-health and telemedicine. And for me, if it's into that group, um, I think it's about talking about virtual consultations, whether they're by email, telephone or video. And I think, again, we, we introduce those to part of our consultations and communications skills teaching so we traditionally do it face to face but we're introducing in my own medical school um, specific consultations using the telephone um, I've seen it uh, used in OSCEs where it's a telephone consultation and uh, I think it's highly appropriate so rather than having a pa directly a patient there it's done via a telephone so much easier. Yes, absolutely. And I think that's what we do. Yeah. And I, 
And I think we students also need to be sitting in with doctors who are actually doing these virtual consultations so that they begin to see what's good practice. Yeah, exactly. So um, I want to um, go back to uh, your uh, actually part of the speech about the new competencies um, where you have mentioned that we need to show students how to use this kind of technology. So, Professor, do we currently have uh, an established sort of um, telemedicine curriculum in, in, in parts of the world? Or do we have uh, some sort of evidence-based uh, resources for uh, implementing uh, digital health and telemedicine in the curriculum right now? Yeah, well, at, at this very moment, the AAMC, which is the Association of American Medical Colleges, um, they've got a telemedicine a curriculum, which you can download off their website. Mm. And there's also been two recent um, 12 tips in medical, in medical teacher by two authors. One of them is how to implement um, a curriculum on telemedicine. And the other one is how to involve students in telemedicine consultations both of them, I think, are excellent. And uh, uh, I was delighted to get, have those authors um, submit the 12 tips uh, about six months ago because it's so highly topical. Great. Well, um, actually, I, I was searching Twitter today and I found an article by... Adam Rodman about um, health profession and designing health profession digital education curriculum. Do you think yeah. that we need to change the manner of teaching and learning while we are uh, actually implementing uh, this kind of reforms that we've discussed in the undergraduate curriculum? I mean, if, if you're thinking of the fact that we need to start making small changes. Every, as soon as you mention anything to do with curriculum change, everybody thinks you're going to change everything overnight. Mm. I, I think that everything is going to be different. All the bits of the curriculum are going to be different. But, you know, I think it's just about a slow change to it. Um, uh, and, and that's what it needs to be. Some of it, I think, comes down to staff, staff and faculty development so that maybe, you know, the next session that um, is run in a medical school, it focuses on you know, developing uh, a, a digital curriculum. So it's starting to look at how do we introduce these digital competencies. Mm -hmm. um, for example, the professionalism and artificial intelligence, um, Ken Masters has written some really, really excellent uh, Amy guides on that. And, and, and so that's all, all very, very useful as well. So, you know, and I think these can be used to, uh, to structure reading and thinking around so they can be used in advance. And again, people like to have case studies of what somebody else is doing. So if there are innovators who are really keen on it, you know, as you said before, you need leadership, you need inspirational leadership who can be exemplars. Exactly. Uh, dear Professor, thank you very much. I'm run out of my question, but yeah. I really enjoyed this discussion. It was really informative for me, and I'm sure that our audience will love it. Um, and thank you for joining us today. Okay, and thank you for inviting me. And um, what better than people to suddenly start on this to uh, quest tomorrow? So uh, I look forward to hearing about it. <laughs> thank you. Thank you.